a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today is Watering Wednesday. And today's question is this. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in your world? And what does being a Christian look like? And I've got in studio with me, Kevin O'Brien. Kevin, welcome to our Watering Wednesday episode. How are you doing? Doing great. Glad to be back. And actually, we're not in studio. Kevin is up in Chicagoland and I'm in sunny Florida. And just for the record, what is the weather like in Chicagoland today? Well, it's in the 50s, but it is nice and sunny right now. Um, I will say that it was cold this morning uh, when I got up, but right now it's not too bad. It was really cold here, too. I think we were at 71. Uh So... (laughs) Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. I see how you are. <laughs> Last week, we I, I did the Watering Wednesday, Kevin. I remember we talked about this. We were in Acts chapter 9, focusing on Paul's pre-conversion life. And this week, I think we should focus on the people that Saul was persecuting. And that's found in actually two passages, Acts chapter 8, verse 3, and Acts chapter 9, verse 2. So allow me to read these verses, because I want to talk about these with you. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. That's the Acts 8.3. And here we come to 9.2. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So Kevin and I spent a lot of time walking through who these people were. And I know most of the time people kind of skip over this and they want to get to Paul's conversion. And we talked about his life before his conversion. We're going to talk about his life after his conversion. But rarely do the people that he was persecuting get much press. And we felt that was pretty important, didn't we, Kevin? Absolutely. I think it's easy to kind of just assume you know what's going on here. But Maybe it's not quite as clear, especially for Paul, as it is to us. Why do you think that is? Well, we think we know what it means to be a Christian, right? I lived in the South for a long time and uh, when I was in college and seminary. And in the South of the U.S., everyone thinks they're a Christian just about. Mm -hmm. But what does that mean? That's a, a, a much bigger question. And I think the way that Luke refers to the church here as followers of the way is a pretty important indicator. I, I think so, too. And one of the things that we've talked about over and over again is what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus where you are? And that's pretty important because we do think it looks different in different ways. I mean, there are some things that are always the same. You have, to, you have to know Jesus. You have to repent of your sins. There is a surrender. There is righteousness. But the expression of it in a given culture might look differently. Like, for example, I'm in the South now. And Florida, especially where I'm at in Northern Florida, your expression of faith looks a little different than it would be in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I know that we've got some advisors on our, our our team that are living in the Northeast, and it looks very different in the Northeast 
than it does in the southeast of part of the United States. Or we've had Jeremy Treat on the show, who pastors in uh, Hollywood, and it's very different there than it is here. Because like in where I'm at, you've got a lot of people that were raised in Christian homes. They have a familiarity with it. And it's kind of the been there, done that. I know what that is. Let's go on. Whereas in the Northeast, it's like, why do you believe in God? I, I, I remember being in, in Massachusetts and it was like, you believe in God? Why? And so I think it looks different for different people, don't you think? Absolutely. And all of the places we just touched on are here in North America. And so yeah. they're even more common than other places in the world. Well, I also think about that for our brothers and sisters that are listening in Pakistan right now, and those who are listening in the Philippines and in India, and what does it look like in their worlds? And it looks very different. Exactly. I remember, I, I, remember, uh, I, I do this in experiment when I go travel in different places. And uh, one of the things that I did was I, I set up a video camera and I interviewed the different Christians that I found in a, in a place. And I asked them to with an interpreter, can you define or describe what the gospel is for me? And I remember in one country, I got all the exact same answers. And I was like, well, that means nothing to me. It doesn't mean anything because it means you just memorize this formula. And, and, and while it was technically right, I just felt like they haven't owned it. You know, it's the whole adage that if you have four people that see a car accident and they if they describe it the exact same way, you know that they worked on it ahead of time to get their story yeah. straight. Because everyone should have a slight different way of describing it. And that's what I noticed in India when I was there is that I got radically different explanations of what the gospel was. And it was fascinating to me to see the different things that were highlighted. And I think all of that's to say is we have to learn to express the truth of the gospel in our given context. And while we know the, the, the basics, that Christ came, he was born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life, he, he, uh, he taught us about how to, to be in the kingdom of God, he proclaimed the kingdom, uh, he called for repentance, he was crucified for our sins, he died, was buried, rose on the third day. Forty days after that, he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. And then he promises to return. And, and those are the fundamentals. We know that to be true. We believe that to be true. But how we live that out might be a little bit different in the cultures in which we find ourselves, as we saw before, which is why we wanted to focus on the way. Why do you think mm -hmm. it's so important for us to go back to that understanding or that even that classification? Because the Bible, first of all, it just says men and women, they were in house to house, this oikos, they were in their homes, they were meeting, living life together. But the text in Acts 9 makes it very clear to call them followers of the way. Why is that so important for us to understand and recapture that idea in our lives now? Yeah, that's a big question. I think a couple things immediately spring to mind. I'll see what you think of this. I think one of the things is for the modern West, we tend to view faith, religious faith, kind of through a lens of, I believe this. And then we fill in the blank with whatever the things are that we, we believe. And we tend to make it a mental thing. Um, not always, but a lot of the times. And, 
when Luke writes about this and he talks about followers of the way, that indicates to me two big things. One is this is not just a, a group that you sort of choose to be a part of. Follower mm-hmm. is more than that. And two, the way says to me the way of Jesus, the way that Jesus taught, the way that he lived, the way that he conducted himself. And that's different than saying I am a part of this group or that group because I I want to be associated with it. I think it's deeper than that. It was the community. It was how they were living their lives with the people that were closest to them. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I think we in the modern West don't understand just how significant that community aspect is. And it's, it's not just community. I mean, community was the buzzword. I remember in the late nineties and the early two thousands, everybody was community, community. All these churches were changing their names. I mean, we are awful when it comes to trends and bandwagons as evangelicals. One person does it, and then suddenly everybody does it. I feel like it's a kid's book that we're reading. One kid does it, and everybody copies. And we're we're pretty copycat when it comes to things, and we think that we're all being brand new, and we want to get on the newest trend. It's like a, a spiritual version of TikTok. You know, you got to get up with the trend and, and stay with it. I think instead we need to just go back and be content with doing the stuff that is not always the stuff that doesn't always get the press. Yeah. So why do you think it is that we tend to equate um, being a a Christian, being a a faithful um, or a real Christian, so to speak with the latest trend, the shiniest thing, the, the success, however we define that. Uh, Why do we, gravitate that way. You know, I, I can't, I'm going to illustrate it for a second. Um, I remember years ago hearing from someone who was talking about being a student in a college class. And it doesn't have to be a college class. It can be in high school class, middle school, elementary school. I've given the same counsel to my kids. And they, they said to me, have you ever noticed that when a teacher asks a question that everybody's silent? especially if it's a brand new question where people really have no frame of reference. They don't know how it's the nuance, how it's being couched. They said the first person though, that responds to that question, then nuances it basically, or couches it then for everyone else. And then everyone else will take that question and then frame it a certain way based on upon that, that, how that first person answered it. And then that will direct the discussion for everyone else in the room. I think trends are the same way. I think when we have our our Christian heroes, our leaders, our, our tribal leaders, the influencers, the quote unquote celebrity believers that are out there, when they speak about something, they frame it, right? In many ways, they're the ones asking the question in front of the culture, uh, or they're answering the question that the culture they think is asking. And then that frames it for everybody else. And then everybody else wants to get on board. Up until then, everyone's silent. So I think then it's imperative that we have to ask, not let those questions be the ways that it's framed. Because sometimes that framing is right 
And sometimes the framing is wrong. I've been in classes where the professor asked a question and the first person answered and everybody started answer after that. And the professor's like, no, no, no. That first question was way off. <laughs> this mm -hmm. is what I intended. And that's why I think it's so important that we go back to the Bible to say, what does the Bible say? Because one of the things that you and I've talked about, and some people will know this, some people won't, there are trends that are going on right now in our tribal Christian world, and have been going over the past few months. And there's been words thrown around, some of you may or may not be familiar with, but the term deconstruction. Um, and it's something where people are are examining their faith and kind of taking it down to the studs, if you will, and hopefully building it back up. But some people are not. They're, they're, they're questioning their, their belief in Jesus. And one of the things that we've talked about is, is that oftentimes those beliefs that have been built up have been built up around the, the certain culture rather than what the word of God says about it. And, uh, and we've had this come up in a lot of ways, and I'm not sure if we probably should get into the, what we like to call the weeds. Um, but the, the, my point is, is that I think the remedy for it is to come back just to the Bible and say, what does the word of God say? And we need to rediscover what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus in our specific world in which we live. And that's why I like this passage that we're talking about today is he is going after the followers of the way. So you have to think, how did they live as followers of the way in their society at that time? So what do you, what do you see here in this text? If we're looking at Acts chapter 8, verse 3, Paul's going around everywhere to destroy the church. He's going from, I think it's very important, house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison, and then talking about the followers of the way. So the first thing that I noticed, Kevin, in Acts 8.3 is that it's from house to house. Not to say that we don't have buildings. They didn't have buildings then. And people would say, well, that's the indication we're supposed to do house church. That's not, that's not the point of what we're trying to talk about here. The point was is that these people were living together and that they were living life and displaying Jesus to the people that lived in their their homes, their sphere of orbit. And I think that there's some lessons that we can draw from that. Don't you think? Yeah, I do. I think that it points out that following Jesus, especially in those early days of the church, was a very real world, everyday people kind of thing that sometimes we, we miss. We get caught up either in the structures or the trappings of the way that we think about it. Mm -hmm. And we don't look back to, you know, what is the essence of, of this. And these are people, especially in the early days who this is brand new. All of this stuff is new. Jesus is a teacher who shifted the way everyone was thinking. And so there's real cost involved for them. I mean, before Saul comes to put them in chains. Hmm. Well, that makes me wonder, what are the costs that we have to pay today? What's the price we have to pay? We, we, we've talked about this kind of ad nauseum here on the show and in our ministry is that 
the gospel challenges something in every culture and then it affirms something in every culture. And the affirmation is the bridge you build. I mean, when, when you find a culture where they do something that the Bible affirms, you can easily make a connection and reinforce that with the gospel. But when you challenge a presupposition or an idol or a firmly held, commonly held, and even loved belief in that culture that the gospel challenges, that is not always welcome. That yeah. is severely frowned upon. So in our culture, what does that look like? That's what I want to do. I mean, looking back at their culture, what were they doing differently than what Judaism had already given them? That's a good question. Let's talk about that. Yeah, that's a that's a really that's a, a big question because Judaism had the law, had six hundred and thirteen laws, right? From the Old Testament and the Pharisees and the other religious leaders added other ones to make sure that you didn't break those. And along comes Jesus, and in my estimation, he makes it both easier. I've come to fulfill the law and harder because man, I look at the sermon on the Mount. That's not easy stuff. It was very counter cultural in that regard because they were living by the law. They were living by legalism. And we see that within different pockets of evangelicalism in the United States and around the world. What then does it look like? In our world today, so let's look at the West for a minute. And the West has many different pockets, like we even just discussed in the United States. There are many different pockets and, and pieces. I, I, I was talking to a guy the other day, and I said he wanted to know how to reach America. And I said, well, which one? And his response was, well, even that is, I, I can't even wrap my head around that. And I said, well, there's many Americas, and I'm not talking about South America, Central America, or North America. I'm talking about there are many parts of America made up of many different people. It's not a monolith. And while we used to have a central belief in the ideals of what America is, that's slowly changing and eroding, where people are going back to their deep culture values. And so the question is, how do we then share Jesus in the middle of all that? So if I'm going into a Hispanic community in South, you know, in um, East LA, or if I'm going into the very secular post everything Seattle, and that's also very different than the the small farm community within Iowa. It's very different wherever we go, so, but there are constants. And I think that's what we're trying to figure out is what's the constant and what's what needs to happen in your world for people to see Christ in you where you are so that you can live out and in many ways perform the gospel. Because it's it's yes, it is a belief. Kevin and I were just talking about that, but it's more than that because people can say all this stuff all the time, right? We, we get politicians all the time saying this, saying that. We can go online. We can do TikTok. We can go on Facebook. You name it. People say all the things in the world. It's what and how you live your life. And not just live your life, but how you react to suffering. How you go about the day-to-day. -day. How do you treat the people around you? Your spouse, your children, 
your coworker? How do you respond against acts of injustice? How do you help those who are suffering? And I think that looks different in many ways. And I think it's important that we recover that. My question is, is what happens if we don't? Well, I think we slowly die. Um, the in Europe, there's lots of gorgeous cathedrals that yeah, are essentially beautiful. Uh, they're essentially museums today, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people pay to go in and visit them, but people aren't worshiping there, or very few are. And so the structure remains, but it's died from the inside out. And I think part of that is because we missed part of chapter nine, verse two, followers of the way, not belief as I agreed to these things in my head. Belief is way more than knowledge, right? This, this passage tells us that it's people who followed the way of Jesus. They were living that way. What still makes me want to go, how are they living different? Oh, oh, going back, how did they get the title followers of the way? That's a good question. I'm not sure of that. There, there, there was a way that they were living that was different. So we know they were meeting house to house. We know that because the text says that in Acts chapter 8, verse 3. We know that there were men and women both involved in the early church. And oftentimes, I think the women's contribution gets lost in that. But there were men and women that were followers of the way. They were, they were taking in the teachings of Jesus and they were living him out, which means forgiveness, sacrifice, surrender, calling for repentance, among people, and I think overall characterized by love and compassion. While I'd love to say that these were radical things, they're really not. It still comes back to the very simple part. The, The gospel is very simple, right? I think sometimes we make it a lot more complicated than it is. I mean, yes, there are a lot of factors that we need to talk through. And I said what you you were saying something in the pre-show walkthrough. You were talking about Lewis, C.S. Lewis. Mm -hmm. We were discussing this, and you said that C.S. Lewis says that the gospel is— he, he says that the Christian way is both harder and easier than what we're all trying to do. Um, with harder was, and easier. Harder yeah. and easier. So why harder and easier? Because Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. My burden is light, right? But yet it's harder at the same time. So how is it harder? Well, but he also says, take up your cross. That's what Lewis says. Yeah, yeah. And, he, me, and, and Lewis argues that that both are true and that the only way, and this is from mere Christianity, the only way that we get there is dying to ourselves. And as Paul says later, that it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? Mm -hmm. And this is 1 Corinthians 3, even where we get our name as an organization, Apollos Water, where Paul's telling the Corinthian church, hey, it's not about following Peter or Apollos or even me, Paul, because those people, we all have a job to do. And it's our job to fulfill what Jesus says, but it's God who makes it grow. It's we are to be servants of Jesus. We are to be following him. And 
we generally, I think, don't like to do that because we'd like to be in control still. We'd like to be in charge. Mm. Well, I think that's a big part of that. But I also think there is the, I mean, we, I'm not saying we don't have an idol of control. We totally do. And I'll probably be the first in the line. I think, though, when I look at being a follower of the way and I look at how it's expressed in our society today, there is a part of me that doesn't think people understand Christ's call to die to yourself. They, they give a rah-rah to it, but it doesn't seem like that in some of our churches that there's a call to die. In fact, I, I read this uh, quote by Brandon O'Brien. I don't think he's related to you. Not but that he, I'm aware of. He's an author, and we had Randy Richards on the show er, uh, early on. And he had written a book called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes, and Brandon had co-written that with him. And he said, one of the things that I think really messes up is that as churches, we present this ascending idea of God all the time, meaning that we're always getting better. Things are always getting better and we're always advancing. He goes, rarely do we talk about descending or oscillating, meaning that it's got ebbs and flows. And I think that's a real truth of it. I think when we look at people in the church, we look for the big bang, the miraculous, the, the, the big idea, the celebrities, and we always want to make it sound better. I know when I go to churches, it's always about better, better, bigger, 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 better, better. And it's like, well, wait, suffering. And people don't want to do that because then they think people won't be interested if they won't be attracted. And I think that's why some people are disillusioned is that you lose credibility when you don't present a real gospel to people, which means that there's suffering involved. And I, and, and you can see that drawn out in this passage. I mean, these people were suffering. Paul is showing yeah. up and dragging them out. I can imagine them in all kinds of states of undress, getting ready for bed. You know, they're in their flannels or their pajamas or their night shirts and with their favorite Jerusalem soccer team, you know, the, the Maccabee, uh, whatever fire or whatever it is, the hammer. And they're getting dragged out barefoot, scared, wondering what's going on. My kids are crying. They're screaming. And these people suffered, but yet we seem to have this allergy to what I call real Christianity. And some people want to say real Christianity, and they want to, that want that what they mean by that is not real life. What they mean is they want they want the supernatural involved in that. And and I think it should be because our our gospel is supernatural any way you cut it. I mean, we have a virgin birth. We have a savior who rises from the dead. I mean, we have him healing people. We can't get, we can't get around that. So when I'm talking about a supernatural, real Christianity, I'm talking about a Christianity in which God works, but there is suffering and there is living it daily in front of other people. Hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back. The most important Bible translation is the one you read. At Apollos Watered, we use several different translations when we're studying, preaching, or teaching. But again and again, we keep coming back to the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's why we are excited to partner with them. We are united in the belief that understanding the Bible changes everything. Because if you can't understand it, 
then you won't read it. We want you to know the God of the Bible, to water your faith so that you will water your world. That's why we recommend getting an NLT. It's the Bible in the language we speak. It's not foreign or complicated, but up close and personal. To save some money, go to Tyndale.com. Use the promo code NLTBibles. It will give you 15% off. There's an NLT for everyone, from kids to adults, devotional Bibles, study Bibles, and so much more. Get one today because understanding the Bible changes everything, and the NLT is the Bible you can understand. But here's my question for you, Kevin. Why do we have such an allergy of doing that in our modern churches today? Why do you think that is? Oh, you're and I'm asking. requiring you to answer for all Protestant evangelicals <laughs> in the West. You're you asking me elected. to meddle. You are at, I'm asking you to be the Pope. You are the Protestant Pope right now. And uh, this is ex cathedra. Uh, <laughs> wow. No, no, no. Uh, you are uh, not the Pope. You were Kevin. And so yeah, that's, ask Kevin, that's good. tell me. So, you know, I, I, uh, I think a, a lot about this question, and I think honestly, the answer is because we really are not sure that we need God in the West, because most of us have nice things. We have fairly comfortable lives, especially when we compare that to brothers and sisters around the world. I remember a long time ago, I believe it was in seminary, um, talking about the the relative wealth of everyone in the United States, where someone said, the United States is the only place where poor people drive a car to a protest. And I thought, oh, wow, I had never thought of it that way, right? Um, and our affluence says, for the most part, in the here and now, we don't need God in the way that our predecessors did or our contemporaries around the world do today. Um, and I think that's a big part of it. And I think if you, if you, if you read, if you read what Jesus says, if you hear what Nick Ripkin said a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. um, that's a scary proposition. What do I have to give up? The rich young ruler, right? Mm -hmm. I've done all the things. And Jesus says, okay, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Um, and I, can this was, I can hear the music in the background. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. <laughs> no, he can't because he can't do it. He can't do it. I, I, Okay, taking that though, let, let's look at it in our situation. Is that what he's calling us to do? Well, maybe. Um, I, I, I think it's really wah, different. Wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know it sounds like a cop maybe. out. Maybe it sounds like a cop out, and I don't mean it to sound that way at all. Um, 
some people, absolutely, that is what God is calling them to do. But I think this is this is one of our problems. We want a one size fits all, do oh, this yeah. kind of thing. And what does Jesus do instead? He gives us the Beatitudes, right? And and what does the way of Jesus look like? Well, the Beatitudes, reading from the NLT, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a reward, a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Well, man, I got to be honest. I don't particularly want to live that life. Um, But I also know that that way is better. And that way is more fulfilling. I just had a conversation this afternoon with a woman who is, who was impacted by our podcast, by hearing Audrey Frank and Nick Rifkin. And she said, listen, like Nick said, sharing the gospel being hospitable is not hard, but it's going to take work. It's going to take time and effort. And she's seeing that right now. And it's not easy in the sense of the time commitment and all of that. But it's also not particularly hard in the sense of all she has to do is that. And she has to rearrange her life. She said that to me. But hmm. she says, I get to, I get to help build the kingdom because I'm doing it. That's good to hear that, to get that encouragement, because I don't think many people give that time or they find that it's worth that time to get that feedback. Cause they find they, they like the initial feeling of doing it, but when it gets to be work, then they tune out. In fact, I was listening to, some guys that are church planting this past weekend, they were sharing at the service that we were at. And one of them said, you know, I sat down with some friends of mine. He was living in the Midwest uh, slash South. And he felt God's call to go plant a church in Denver. And he said, I, I planted this church. And so I sat down with my friends and I shared with them, that I was planning the church and I wanted them to be a part of it. And you're talking about people, he goes, that own businesses, that own homes. And they're all like, yeah, no. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. no, I got a life here. This is what God has for me here. And of course he gave the, I don't want to say the evangelical guilt, pray about it. <laughs> but he, he really felt like they needed to pray about it. And they did. And over the next few weeks, one by one, it was clear that God was directing them. And he said they sold their businesses and their homes in order to move to Denver to help me plant this church. And I was like, wow. 
that seems like for us, we go, wow, that that's amazing. It's it's, and we notice it because it is amazing, but what would that look like if that became the norm? You know, then it would be the, the weird one who didn't sell. And, and again, like you said before, it's true. Maybe, you know, he calls it, he calls us all differently and we all have different roles and we're not all supposed to leave where we are, but we're, we are all called to make disciples and live as what I like to call everyday Christians where we are. I think though that I get frustrated is a white Western evangelical of a certain theological ilk and tribe. My frustration is that I find myself attracted to this, the shiny at, at, at times. And I think we as evangelicals are attracted to the new and the shiny and what I mean by that is the big, right? The big, the better, the badder, the 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 bold. And and there is a place for that. But I think that gets crowded out are the little works where the church is 75 people and the pastor is doing everything to keep it together and to love his people and to shepherd well. And he'll never get those numbers that someone with thousands or whatever has. And there's a variety of reasons for that. And I know being in some of those circles, I've seen pastors look down. Oh, their church is only that big. Oh, I'm not going to listen to him because of that church. And I'm like, but when is that the, the, the rubric or the metric that we draw from? Isn't it faithfulness? I would hope so. I think that's what this passage tells us. What? That, that faithfulness is the rubric because, because Paul's not going to go after the people that make an, a lot of noise, but it doesn't matter in their day-to-day lives, right? Who's he going after? He's going after the people who are following the way of Jesus, who are actually living it in their day-to-day lives because he sees them as an existential threat to what he is, who he is, and what Judaism is all about. He says that right there, that upends everything. Hmm. And I think it does upend everything, but I don't think that's what we want today. In fact, I wrote this down when I was thinking through this passage. We want the famous, not the faithful. We want the celebrity, not the common. We want the status, not the sacrifice. We want the praise, but not the pain. And I say that as an indictment of my own life. Am I willing to do it? Did you ever read the book by Kent Hughes called Liberating the Ministry from the Success Syndrome? Have you ever seen that book? I've seen it. I haven't read it. It is such a good book and influenced me so greatly when I was in um, at Bible college. He, his purpose was, is that we're so addicted to success and growing and bigger and the celebrities. And he said, but we've lost touch with what the Bible says. And in doing so, while there are people that have come to Jesus, they get disenfranchised when they can't grow because they don't have any root because the teachers that are supposed to be teaching them, were just trying to get them in the door and not really taking them deep into the heart of God with theology and the truths of doctrine and how to live that out. Cause doctrine isn't just knowledge. It's really a performance script on how we live. And 
his thought was, is we have to redefine success. It's not about brands or budgets or buildings. It's about faithfulness. It's about serving. It's about loving, believing, praying, persevering, holiness, and attitude. I think that's pretty important that we need to refocus on and just become, this is going to sound weird and people are going to be mad at me, but just be a common Christian. And I say that as a person who I'm a, I'm a four on the Enneagram, whether you like it or not, but a four is a person who pray, you know, prizes being unique. And that's like a high value for me. So to not be considered unique is like a huge deal. You know, no one wants to, to live in the, uh, in the, the, the honeycomb, you know, the, the, just be a drone. No one wants that to just be a cog in the wheel. We all want to be valued and we all want God to see us who, uh, for, for who we are. And he does. But I, my point is, is I don't think God is calling us to have to be superstars. He's not calling us to have a big Twitter followers, a bunch of Twitter followers or any of that. He's calling us to be faithful where we are and to love and to sacrifice and to not worry about the press and let him handle it. But I don't think that's what we want. I think we want the instantaneous and we don't have enough faith to see the long term in the eternal. That's part of being, as you like to say so affectionately, part of a five minute society that we're in. And so if I were to give our people a water bottle for the week, it would be love God, love the people around you, and live with people and show them Jesus by your life. So love, live life. What do you think, Kevin? I, I absolutely agree. I think absolutely is, agree. That's good. As opposed I, to partially agree. It's like a yeah. test on your college exam. I partially agree. I fully agree. I'm not yeah, fully exactly. agree. I don't agree. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, I believe that's what C.S. Lewis was saying with the harder and easier thing. I think that's what Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes. I think that's what Paul is reacting against is there's nothing about this that's easier. And it's easy to, to after this conversation we've had, for people to go, oh, that's kind of a downer. But the, not, the, the thing about it is there were people who did follow Jesus, who did see. And there are people today who do see, who do recognize that the way they've been going about things the making it all about me and what I do in my life doesn't fulfill in this counterintuitive thing of following the way of Jesus actually is far more fulfilling in the long run. I mean, that's that conversation I had with this woman this afternoon. That's what she saw. That's what to hear the excitement in her voice yeah, it's, it's hard, but I get to be a part of this. And it was contagious. Mm. I, I think it is contagious when we get that, the understanding of what the real is. It's when we have to manufacture it and create hype that I find we lose hope. And I'm not trying to knock big churches. I'm not trying to knock... Uh, these pastors that are out there, because I know that people are all trying to just get by. I mean, they're trying to just do it the, to the best of their ability. My, my my point is to to 
bring a call back to what the word of God says. And I know that some people get bored by that because they want the newest thing. I don't think, I, I don't think that ministry is about the newest thing and the newest solution and the newest quote unquote guru. I think it's about living authentically, which means for me, not trying to perform a show just to show off or get spiritual status, but to live as a true follower that is pursuing Jesus. You know, as Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. I want to be following Christ and I want to be loving people the way that he did. And that doesn't always mean we're going to see results right away. But I guarantee you that the people that come to Christ, and if you were to ask any of our listeners out there, how did you come to faith in Jesus? I would venture to say that over 90% of them came because someone lived it out in front of them. And they saw it and they were drawn to it. And then they were they shared it with them. And again, I'm not I'm not saying that my stats are right or anything because 77% of stats are made up on the spot. Um, but the point is, are we really living, loving, and showing our life the way that God wants us to? And I think we can all do that. That's the other cool thing about this whole deal. God's not asking you to amass a big, giant, massive social media following. He's not asking you to speak to thousands and thousands of people. He's asking you to trust him and be obedient where you are so that God's glory and his kingdom might resonate and grow. So that's it. And that's it what we have for today. And I want to let everybody know about this because we also have some some treats and things that are going on for you. Uh, A couple of things. We have our Ready to Launch campaign, Kevin. Ready to Launch, where we are looking for how many? 80. 80. We're looking for 80 new partners to join us before the end of the year. And as we've often said, we are on the runway and we want to thank those who have given so sacrificially to enable us to be in the plane (laughs) because without you, we couldn't have pulled away from the terminal. We couldn't be taxing down the runway and we are gaining speed, but we need your help to help us fully get airborne. And that's why we are encouraging you. If you believe in what we're doing and trying to water the faith of people so that they can go water their world, then we're asking you to prayerfully partner with us by going online to apolloswatered.org. That is Apollos with one P, two L's, and an E-R-E-D at the end, dot O-R-G. And in the upper right-hand corner is a support us icon. Just click on that and then up will come many of the different levels that you can be a partner with us. And we would encourage you to check that out. And I want to give a preview for our our, uh, deep conversations Friday. We are having a phone conversation, actually an interview or conversation with Michael Heiser, the one and only. He, for those that don't know who Michael Heiser is, he is a Bible scholar extraordinaire. Um, he was the, uh, what they call him, a scholar in residence at Logos Bible Software, which is the software that almost like every pastor that we know in the West that speaks English uses for their study. And he started a podcast called the Naked Bible Podcast, which just this past spring had their 7 millionth download. 
7 million. That's pretty incredible. And he is a, an old Testament scholar extraordinaire. Uh, I know so many people that listen to his podcast. They love what he is doing. And it was a real honor to be able to engage in a discussion with him as we delve down deep in the scriptures. I mean, you know, you have people that refer to people refer like, Oh, this scholar says this, or that scholar says that he is that scholar. And he's not just a scholar. He's kind of a fun guy to talk to. I mean, he was. We had a great time in our in our conversation as we walked through this to hear about his ministry. But he's going to turn your head a little bit, make you go, what? I, I kind of say that he's the paradigm breaker. Because he's so scholarly and he knows the text so well, it makes you stop and go, what did he just say? And it's awesome, though. There's like no major, there's no like massive thing that he's calling you to question in that it doesn't change your theology, but it will cause you to see some certain things in scripture that you have not seen before. So I'm really looking forward to that. That should be a lot of fun. And I want to thank Kevin for being in here with me today. Thank you, Kevin. And I hope that it gets warmer <laughs> for you. Not there. until next year sometime. <laughs> I mean, we'll get you down to Florida. That'd yeah, be good to go. have you down there. That'd be good. I'm sure your wife would love that. But I, we'll... I think my daughter is trying to figure out ways to get us down there. <laughs> I so. love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And we want to let those know who are listeners that if this episode has helped you so that you can water your world, hit that subscribe button, share this episode with other people. And uh, just give us a review online because you know the drill. If anyone listens, the more people that listen, that algorithm picks it up and then makes it so that other people can get this content. And uh, this content is aimed at those who want to know more. They want to know, they want to grow deeper. They're trying to understand all of the different things that are going on. And we want to help with that. We want to help you follow Christ in the middle of your world so that you can water your world. And that's it for today. Uh, I want to thank our team. Kevin, thank you for coming for on, for me again. talking, and, and uh, Rebecca, Eliana, Donovan, Melissa, and we have a new team, mem- team member, Audrey. So Audrey is joining our, our social media team. We want to thank her. And we want to tell you to water your faith. Water your world. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollos Water. Stay watered, everybody. Thank you.